A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This episode of the Nasty Woman Club podcast contains discussions around sexual abuse. If any of these conversations are triggering, please contact 1 800 Respect or Lifeline at 13 11 14. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Nasty Woman Club podcast. I'm very happy to be in your ears this Friday and I'm very excited to introduce to you all an incredible woman I think you all need to be well aware of. Her name is Tamika Wilder, or as she refers to herself, the Orgasmic Mama. She is a sex coach for mums that helps women teach them how to reconnect with their sexuality and with their pleasure. And she has written a really incredible book called Wild Honey. And it definitely is something very different to what I've ever read before. It's poetic storytelling with also a little dose of commentary on her behalf about what you as the reader might be thinking reading this or what her as a writer is thinking writing this. It's just, it's honestly just like a beautiful work of art. I see it more as it's a beautiful work of art that looks into educating adults about sexual expression, sex positive parenting and the importance of consent and boundaries, teaching that to children. But in the meantime, we are going to go over to my interview with Tamika, which I really think a lot of you are going to connect with, especially all the parents out there. I think this is definitely going to be something that you'll definitely learn a thing or two from Tamika. We spoke about open relationships and how there is still that notion that we should all aim to find the one or our fairy tale prince. We also spoke about that there is privilege in having a healthy relationship in your household and a privilege in sexual development. There's just a lot of great conversations here that I don't think I've had with many people. So I think many of you will get something out of this. I do want to give a trigger warning. There is discussions about sexual abuse in this episode. So if any of these discussions are triggering, overwhelming, please contact 1-800-RESPECT or Lifeline at 13 11 14. But anyway, on to today's episode with Tamika Wilder. Tamika, thank you so much for coming onto the Nasty Woman Club podcast today. Ooh, you are welcome. Good to be here. I am very excited to talk to you about your incredible work, especially in the sex positivity space. But before we get to that, mm. I think the best way the listeners can really understand who you are and how I can understand who you are by getting a little insight into your phone that is the way into people's souls so what i yes so what i do with my interviewees i do a little icebreaker challenge kind of thing where i ask you what's the most recent things on your phone Mm -hmm. so the first one (laughs) so the first one i have to ask is 
What was the last message that you received? Oh, the last yes. message I received yes. was, this is pretty boring. <laughs> um, yes, 11 a.m. at Cairns is great for old time's sake. Love hard. <laughs> <laughs> Cairns would be nice about now. It'd be nice. I wonder, if, would it still be warm up there? Oh, no, no. Cans is a cafe I used oh, to Oh, I think you said Cans. Yeah, oh, no, cans. fair. Oh, yeah, see you at 11 a.m. in Cans. Yeah, I wish. Yes, uh, that'd be no. nice and warm. So, yeah, a cafe where in Melbourne where I used to meet my old business partner and um, we're meeting there today at 11. Oh, very nice, very nice. Oh, you're lucky you're in Melbourne. You guys get the best cafes We do. Ever. We are so spoiled. Like and the best you. coffee. Oh, my God, best coffee. I'm a Brisbane gal. I do love my coffee in Brisbane, but Melbourne, mm, yeah. yes, yeah. good coffee down there. Yes, it <laughs> makes Australia very proud of their coffee. Uh -huh. I know. Mm -hmm. so my next one is now are you a notes gal do you like using your notes on your phone um, yeah sometimes yeah all right what was the yeah. last thing that you wrote on your notes app mm, the last like sentence yes um the last sentence was about conscious kink oh okay. yeah 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 okay what is conscious con conscious kink so kink you know you talk about mm. kink play bdsm you know that kind of deal um conscious kink is like the practice of really fully understanding your kinks and understanding where they came from mm -hmm. understanding your erotic landscape in such a way that gives you a, a bit more range inside of your kink play mm -hmm. so a lot of people pigeon them pigeonhole themselves into a role during kink um but actually understanding where your kink came from can free you up to like have different types of play and can also um it can add to the therapy of kink so I okay. think that yeah conscious kink is is therapeutic uh, when you understand what it is you're putting your psyche and your body through in some of the more intense um kink play Ooh, okay. That's good yeah. to know. Huh? Yeah. Cause I, yeah. Cause obviously I've heard of kink, but yeah, I've never heard of the term yeah, conscious kink. That's interesting mm -hmm. to know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then my last question then about the insights of your phone, what was the last thing that you Googled? The last thing I Googled, mm. uh, let me have a look. Um, superfeast.com.au. So this is Superfeast. a, a seller of medicinal mushroom mushrooms and adaptogens and, um, tonics for the body ah, so okay i bought some of the jing which is a powder to support adrenal function i didn't know that oh that's cool yeah oh, i didn't know that okay why is it called super feast i don't know it's just what it's called it's it's i, I, I don't know how they came to that name uh but it's mushrooms okay and adaptogens so <laughs> yeah. i've never tried mushrooms before yeah so uh, yeah yeah it's good mm. stuff it's really good stuff okay my yeah. system enjoys it okay mm. very good <laughs> well i need to then get onto the questions about your fabulous new book that has just come out called wild honey and there are so many topics i do want to explore in this book that you speak about but firstly i have to say you are such a beautiful writer. Like I've taken so many screenshots of some quotes and paragraphs that you said in there, because obviously there is poetry in there, but even the 
paragraphs in there that is you storytelling or you educating people about sex it's just also poetic you're just wow. such a beautiful writer oh thank you thanks so much for saying that I'll have just you take that compliment <laughs> <laughs> have you always been someone that has been passionate about writing Mm, yeah uh in one way or another I believe it started with my love of rap and I talk about that in the book my love of hip-hop mm. and rap and that type of artistry and so I used to write you know raps and poems and do performance poetry and and perform on stage actually so um yes I think writing in some capacity has always been there with me um but I didn't realize I just thought oh no I don't I'm not you know, we kind of downplay stuff mm. and I'm like, no, no, I can't write, but I don't know. I guess sometimes I can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And mm. it's also obviously like such a great tool of expressing yourself in a certain way. So I can imagine then with your fascination of sex, it was just, they just meshed so well together. Totally. Yes. Yeah. So when did that, when did your fascination of sex begin? I know obviously for many people, like maybe in puberty, they're just like, Ooh, sex. Ooh, I could do, I could do things with other people. But you said, but in the book, you like spoke about that you had like a bit of an idea, like a bit of a fascination when you're a bit younger. Um, yeah, I feel like some of my earliest memories are of me masturbating. Like I remember, and I know that I would have been about three years old because of the house we were living in at the time. So that feels like a pretty early memory to have. A lot of people say, oh, I don't remember anything, you know, below kind of six years old or whatever. Mm. Um, and I think beyond like a fascination about sex, I was always fascinated with humans. Mm. And I always put myself in positions where I could get right under it, like lift the lid on the human condition and lift the lid on what is hiding under the surface. And so when I go deeper and deeper under the surface, obviously we get to sex. Mm. So less about a fascination with sex in particular and more about a fascination with really understanding what makes us tick. And that is like, okay, so of course I work in sexuality because that's the closest to the core of the truth of the human really that you can mm. get. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And in the book, you did mention how it was somewhat frowned upon talking about sex in particular masturbation. Like it felt like it was a bit frowned upon, like when you, like, you know, like when you're a kid, you don't really know what masturbation is, but you know, mm. you're, you're just like, Oh, this feels good. I don't mm. know why this feels good. How do you think that impacted you? Like your first, like your first conversation about sex, it was something to be frowned upon. How do you think that um, Yeah, you? look, I don't know what my first conversation was about it. It certainly mm. wasn't with a caregiver or somebody, anyone I looked up to. Mm. So when you're in those conversations with your peers, then it's probably the safest place, actually, if you're in a sex-negative environment or a sex-negative household or you don't feel fully expressed inside of your um, parental relationships as a child, you're not going to start conversations about sex and pleasure and masturbation with them so talking to peers it's like cool we're all exploring and learning at the same time you know um and that's part of why when I I speak to parents about sex positive parenting it's like don't leave it up to the social construct or the media or pornography or their friendship groups to teach your kids about sexuality like we need to step up and and be teaching and having these conversations but um yeah I think that there is um a negative 
or a less than useful um, imprint that is made on young people when they learn very quickly in life that, that sex is taboo, it's inherently wrong or bad or dirty, and all of their inquiry about it has to be hidden away. Um, that's the real issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you touched on there about sex positive parents and like raising your kids to realize that sex isn't the dirty thing. What are then some tips that you, I know you mentioned some of them in the book, like what are some tips you have then for parents that are trying to be sex positive in their household and teach their kids that sex is not a dirty thing, but at the same time, you know, there's always that argument of just like, oh, let kids be kids or that type of stuff. Mm -mm -mm. Mm. It's really about firstly, um, doing your own inner work to um, reach a harmonious kind of place with your own sexuality. If there are things that you haven't yet um, looked at or healed or found peace with inside of yourself on your own erotic and sexual expression, then you're not going to be able to pass on a healthy narrative to your children. Um, If you're reacting to them and their, their innocence and their curiosity and their, their genitals and their pleasure, Um, in a way that squashes it or, you know, makes them feel wronged for it. Um, it, It's telling you that you still have work to do to kind of release a bit of your own shame. So that's like step one. Um, And then there's practical things like learning what language you feel really comfortable talking to, um, using to talk to your kids. So some people are like, oh, how do I, oh, how do, what do I say if I catch them masturbating? Or if I, what do I say if they, you know, are, if I find the cousins in the cupboard, like looking at each other's genitals? And it's like, well, I can't tell you exactly what to say, but firstly, what language do you want to use? What words do you feel comfortable with? How do you put an age appropriate set of, of language um, in this moment, which isn't going to alarm or wrong you know or shame or shock them um so that's another step as well getting getting your language together Mm yeah Um, yeah and also as well I think what's important that you say is that they need to understand about the importance of boundaries and consent that was something that you did look at in chapter is the importance of boundaries and consent because the sad reality is kids need to learn that at a very, very young age because there will be people out there that think that they are entitled to that children's bodies. And that's not right at all. And so many kids, they don't know that. They just think, oh, it's a secure figure. They are entitled to it because they have the power. And I think it's very important that you say like, yeah, knowing, understanding boundaries and consent, especially around your body, is just so important, even as a child. Totally, absolutely, yeah. And I don't even think, I feel like, yeah, there are, there are parts of that that maybe are sad depending on how you're looking at it. But actually, I think it's just an exciting opportunity we have to teach our children about their bodies sooner, mm. actually, um, and what it feels like to feel safe in your body, what a yes feels like, what a no feels like, how do you express yourself, um, you know, you don't have to make other people happy. Other people don't have to be pleased with you. You don't have to impress anyone, all of these things. Um, it's a pretty beautiful opportunity to help strengthen their relationship with themselves. Mm, absolutely. Yes. And another topic I do want to look at that you do delve into the book and then, and this is a trigger warning to listeners as well. This topic we're about to delve into is looking into sexual abuse. So if this is triggering, maybe just skip forward um, a couple of minutes, 
But you do speak about your experience of being sexual abused when you were a child for two years. And it's very interesting the way that you write about it because you said that with your work now with sex education, you think it's not only important to educate people that have been abused, but also the abusers as well. Yeah. What made, what made you um, say that? Like, why do you think that's really important? Well, it's really easy to demonize and reshame and act quite violently towards people who abuse other people. And what I think we forget when we are um, placing blame and when we feel hurt and we feel like someone else's actions have caused hurt, it's really easy to forget that that person is also a human Mm -hmm. and that that person, the abuser, is born of our society. They grew up in our shared culture. And if a human gets to the age of, you know, their mid or late 20s and can behave in such a way that deliberately hurts or manipulates another person, there was something that that person didn't get as a child, that Mm -hmm. that abuser didn't get taken care of at 10, 11, 12, 13 years old as a young man in this case in our society. So we have to look inwardly. We have to look at our shared culture. We don't look at the individual and say, oh, you were wrong or you are, you know, inherently a damaged or deranged and evil person. That's just not true. Mm -hmm. He came from, from us. So yeah, they need taking care of just as much as somebody who has been assaulted because that unrest obviously lives inside of them in such a way that they need they need healing too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did you go with navigating your journey to coming to that way of thinking? Because obviously as a child, when you experience that abuse, obviously <clears throat> there's like all different thoughts going through your head. Like you even said in the book that you felt like you were sacrificing your body. Yeah. How did you, what was it like then going through that journey to now the way of thinking you are like right now? Mm. Um, It was a pretty, I think in a way it's what took me so long to make the report is that I actually always knew like that I didn't want to hand this story over into the legal system. Mm -hmm. I was like, once I do that, it's out of my hands and it's out of my control and I can't say what I want next. And I think I do say this in the book, I would have loved to sit around a a table and have a big conversation and, you know, and what I know now is restorative justice. I would have preferred that. And I always knew that actually. I'm like, oh, I just want, I just want that. But I was too young to understand that you know, that was even potentially possible. And I don't think in Australia it, it has been possible and some things are emerging now that hopefully, you know, are changing that. But, um, yeah, I, I guess I just continue to do the work on myself and continue putting myself in spaces with people and in places that um, helped me grow and evolve my ways of thinking and helped me be a good mix of feeling like the victim, but also feeling like, all right, what what type of human do I want to be and what type of change inside of our culture do we want to see? And it just felt like a, a natural progression of my my work in the world and like who I who I wanted to be. So um and even still like I knew that I still had to report. Mm-hmm. so yeah. because there was no other way there was no other way for me to rest the story 
you know, and to hand it back where it belonged, which is not with me in my body, my psyche and me holding responsibility for it. Um, yeah. And I, I did a lot of work with young people, like a big part mm -hmm. of my, um, some of my first career kind of moves were working with some of the most um, uh, at risk and intensely kind of um, burdened and abused young people of our society. So I've seen young men coming from households where there's alcoholism and drug use and you know they're on different medications because they can't learn well and being slapped with labels so many labels you know you open the case file and this kid this name and then this list I've seen all that so I'm like I think that helped my narrative around what I know to be true around what our young people need mm -hmm. yeah yeah and it's not going to prison <laughs> they need things way before that Absolutely. Yes. And it definitely reflects on what you said in the book, how learning sexual development and understanding things like that is a privilege. There's such privilege to that. And like yes. you said, mm -hmm. and like with the kids that you were helping with, obviously someone that grew up with alcoholism in a family is going to be, it's going to impact them so differently to someone that didn't. Mm. And yeah, I think that's very important what you said in the book about that. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. So another topic that I do want to look at in the book, I think is very, very important for my audience to hear, because I've actually had some people message me about this, is you spoke about in the book how the one, like, you know, there's this whole notion, like, you know, when you're growing up, like in Disney movies and stuff, like, oh, you got to find the one, you got to find just that one person that's apparently meant to meet every single one of your needs for the rest of your life, even though you have no idea what you're going to be like for the rest of your life. Shocking. Yes. <laughs> oh, shocking. <laughs> Did you always have that thought, like, when you were a kid? Like, you know, when you're a kid, you get, like, you know, brainwashed with all these movies that just always have the sentiment of the one, the one, the one. Like, or is it something that you've kind of realised as an adult that finding the one is kind of bullshit? Yeah, yeah. No, no, I got brainwashed as well. But mm -hmm. emerging into adulthood and when I started tracking the patterns of my relationships, I was like, hold on a second, this is, this is broken. This is not a system that I belong in, this mm -hmm. kind of um, get married, have one monogamous partner forever. Like that fairy tale just started crumbling the more awake I got to the way that things were actually operating inside relationship. Um, I was like, no, no, this is, this is not for me. And like I say, my um, tumultuous, promiscuous, intense kind of teen years really highlighted that. And I wasn't sure whether that, because that was, you know, a part of how I coped with the abuse or actually was a big part of um, what was intended for me, but the more clarity and the more inner work and the more um, knowledge that I've gained around the fact that actually to 
choose relationships that are like what you really, really want takes a lot of courage and um, diving into open relationships, open marriages, polyamorous kind of situations. It's a lot of inner work and it's super powerful. It's the hardest personal work you will ever do and it's so worth it. Mm -hmm. And I think what's great as well, I think what not a lot of people understand and mention is the fact that when you are in so as you said you're in you're in a polyamorous relationship to be in something like that requires so much communication and trust and I feel like there are people that are in you know the stereotypical marriages that you know you're taught as a bloody kid they probably don't even have that level of communication or trust that people in like open marriages polyamorous relationships do yeah and I mean you have to communicate a lot and there has Mm. to be a lot of trust. You never open your relationship from a place of, oh, we're not going so well. Let's open it up and see if this helps it. You've got to be pretty solid base first. You have to be, and this is the bit that I struggle with the most is like, it's very vulnerable. So vulnerable. Explaining your desires and your needs and um, then also taking care of everyone else on the flip side of that. You know, it's not just about me going. And some people who are into kind of relationship anarchy are a bit more like, well, I've got to do me and um, there's no hierarchy, whereas, you know, Polly's a little bit different. And, yeah, it takes lots and lots of work. Um, And it's super rewarding because the more you untangle any beliefs that keep you in jealousy and contraction, then the more free that you are to be exactly who, who you are, you know, who you were intended to be. Because jealousy, self-worth, self-esteem, all of that gets locked into our relationships. Um, dismantling that is really empowering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you, did you ever have any comments from, you know, like relatives or friends when you say to them that you are in an open relationship when you have kids? Like, do you ever have, get those people that have to be like, oh, what about the kids and stuff like totally. that? Totally. Yeah. yeah. People are like, what about the kids? It's like, well, what about the kids? Like, what is your question? <laughs> what do you think is going to happen to them? Mm. They, you know, I want to teach my children um, not the fairy tale, right? Like I want to teach them what real life is about. They're not going to be broken because they see their parents in more, more than one loving relationship. They're going to be more broken <laughs> when they um see the fairy tale crumble when they start kind of growing up into their 20s and 30s and they realize holy shit is this what I was supposed to do I don't know if I can do this you know so yeah it's real it doesn't break them it's just like oh this is real life and we're lucky because where we live we have two rainbow families we have we have a family with two daughters two daughters and a a child family with two mamas and a child a single mama us um we've got all these families around us that's great yes so we just say we use that to explain like families look all sorts of ways and the thing is as well like when you have families that are the way they are because that's just how they're meant to be it's just so much of a better way to teach kids that this is what love looks like and I feel like so many kids that are in families that are toxic like um you said it earlier in the book there was a beautiful passage I screenshotted it because I sent it to my mom because um she stayed with her partner my um father she stayed with him for the kids she thought that would make the kids happy but in the result that led to like you know 
her kids then seeing a very, very toxic, toxic relationship because of the toxic man in it. Yes. And that's just, that's not healthy. People shouldn't feel like they have to stay with someone that's toxic because of the kids. Otherwise the kids are going to see, oh, this is what marriage looks like then. This is what yes. love looks like then. Having that's right. this, yeah, it's, so I think it's really, really great that you are so open about talking about your experience with your partnership, your relationship, your family, because then it teaches people that you don't have to stay with your shitty partner, your shitty husband. Like there is so like, you know, have the family you want to have and have the relationship you want to have. Totally. Yeah. And just acknowledging as well that that takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of work against the systems, like the patriarchal systems that are set up to actually ensure that we are reliant on one another, you know, because a lot of people go, I would love to leave, but I can't afford it. I would love to leave, but he's, you know, financially making sure that I have no, no way to like, there are big systems at play that, that make this really difficult for people to choose. So I just want to acknowledge that as well. It's not yeah. a matter of just like, okay, bye. It's like, cool. Well, I've been at home for 10 years raising three kids and now I have nothing. I have no super, I have no options. Mm. And you're saying I should just leave, you know? Um, so really, really hard. <clears throat> and I guess that's why for people who don't have families yet and haven't had kids or whatever, like, really feel into this stuff for yourself now mm -hmm. before you accidentally unconsciously slip into oh well this will be the fairy tale and he or they will just hopefully look after me um yeah it's not it <laughs> yeah and also there is always that argument of people saying like oh well my mother did it my grandmother did it like there's always just like oh well people before me they stayed in long marriages even though they all stayed in long partnerships and you know i should do the same but the thing is it's same with the society expectations when it comes to sex and sexual expression we have to change things we don't just have to keep acting yeah. the way people have in the past just because that's just what it was back then totally yeah these invisible loyalties will keep us in in cycles you know in family cycles and um and that's why you know sometimes when i read back over wild honey i'm like damn like i really i sound so self-centered and i'm like because actually it is like living life with you as the nucleus um is an important version of self-centeredness because yeah it means you can untangle from these loyalties and obligations and some of the inherited ways of being that we don't even challenge or think about so with your book wild honey then i firstly want to recommend listeners all right now go buy the book on debut books right now it's very important book because essentially what it is it's all you educating adults about sex and sexual expression but what is actual wild honey though like what made you want to write this book and give this title to this book ah the title just came through to me because i was like there's so much fire in the pages and it's quite challenging for, for people, I think. And then there's also a real softness through it as well. So it's sweet, but it is wild. It's untamed, but it is, um, yeah, sweet and sensual. It's like that mix of both. Mm -hmm. So, and I feel like that is me as well. That's kind of, um, I am that mix. And to be honest, like I, I think a lot of my life I led with the wild bringing the honey in is something that has been super important that soft that supple that sweet that yielding that dripping that letting go that oozy that you know play 
-hmm. And I think that's just a beautiful mix of what it feels like to be embodied and empowered and sexually expressed. You need that wild, that, that raw, that depth, those boundaries, that, that self-knowing, and you also need the, um, the other stuff well I greatly appreciate you coming onto the podcast to talk about your incredible work and also your book wild honey and I definitely think it's a beautiful beautiful read that many people need to get onto not only for your incredible storytelling not only for your incredible poetry but also as well I have to mention the commentary that you have within the book of your book as you're writing it and reading it kind of thing like you commentate like you do like a this beautiful commentary i've never seen before of what the reader must be thinking reading reading this or what you must be thinking writing this it's just beautiful work of art i just i, I love it and i really really hope the reader the re, the audience really get this book and learn about the work you do thank you so much yeah thank you a lot for this chat I, every time i talk about it it feels it feels good. It feels like I'm closer and closer to, you know, reinvigorating the why, why I did this. And um, yes, I really appreciate being here. Yes. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Nasty Woman Club podcast. And thank you so much, Tamika, for coming onto the show, sharing your truth, sharing your knowledge, sharing your struggles, your history, your stories. I greatly appreciate it. If you want to hear more from Tamika Wilder, get on to her Instagram page now. Follow her at The Orgasmic Mama. And also make sure you purchase her debut book, Wild Honey, which is out now. The link is available in today's show notes. If you do enjoy the Nasty Woman Club podcast or just the platform in general, I really do ask you that you leave a five-star review. Every rating, every review really does help grow this platform, grow this podcast. And I really want as many ears as possible to tune into the Nasty Woman Club every week. Anyway, that is it for today's episode of the Nasty Woman Club podcast. I'm your host, Demi Lynch. Stay nasty, everyone. We at the Nasty Woman Club pay our respects to the traditional custodians of the Mianjin land. We acknowledge that we are on the stolen lands of the Yarraga and Turbul people, whose sovereignty was never ceded. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.